Hey, I'm just so happy to see you all. Thank you so much for being here for Transvisibility Day. Woo! You all are amazing. You really, really are. So this is a transgender. I'm Anna, a transgender person. And I'm Cam, Anna's dad. And this is a podcast chronicling my transition. And a cisgender man learning how to support it. And now it's poetry time with Cam. Woo! Trans poetry. So today uh, I have a wonderful poet to share with you. Their name is Keith Silva, and they wrote a book of poetry called Lady Death. And I want to read to you a really special poem that's called A Message for Trans Kids. How many trans kids do we have here today? Probably a lot. There's a trans kid here today. Protect those trans kids. So here we go. We have A Message for Trans Kids by Keith Silva. There are many who come before you. We are shining bright, holding you in our warmth. We are working to make the world a place where you can smile, live and play, and be celebrated. Until then, tend the flame of who you are, and in your wild creative hearts, find us and those who walk beside you. Together, we will overcome. The world needs your light. What a beautiful, beautiful poem. I really like that. I think a lot of our trans youth need to hear something like that. And also, like, eggs cracking is important. We talk a lot about trans eggs. And so I think that that's a really beautiful way of putting it. It's like following your light. It's our responsibility, right, adults, to pave the way so that trans kids are protected and that they can continue to live their best lives and their identities. So today I wanted to talk about trans history in Minnesota. And I really wanted to make sure that we touched on the fact that the real story of transgender history in Minnesota is about the Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, Chippewa, and Sioux families. As Caucasian settlers on stolen native lands, we are not the ones to talk about those indigenous stories. Indigenous trans and two-spirited stories, I should say. But please watch for future episodes of The Transgender where we have people who are two-spirit, who are indigenous trans people, who will be able to tell those stories and speak that truth in a way that is helpful. For this amazing Trans Day of Visibility here in Duluth, Minnesota, we are going to discuss influential trans-based stories from the 1800s to today. We're so excited because there's so many really amazing stories of, again, the trans folks that came before us and paved the way. And I want to start with the story of Joseph Israel Lobdell, Born in New York, 1829, Lobdale spent the first 24 years of their lives as a woman. After getting married, they decided to leave Long Eddy and begin their life anew in Minnesota as a man. That is wicked. 1854. 1854. A man came out as trans at 23. I had enough trouble coming out in 2020. I can't imagine what it was like for him. In 1854. Lobdale started singing lessons in Pennsylvania, but their sex assigned at birth was discovered and felt like they needed to branch off and go somewhere where they could be safer. And they chose the territory of Minnesota. It wasn't Minnesota in statehood quite yet. So this is literally at the beginning of our country. This trans man changed their name to Leroy, made friends and lived peacefully among the locals of the Minnesota territory. But unfortunately, in 1850, 
1958, Lobdale was arrested and charged with the crime of impersonating a man. Four years after he came out and moved to Minnesota, he was arrested for impersonating a man. What a stupid thing. What a stupid, stupid thing. What a stupid law. We're starting to get those laws, but that's not today's episode. <laughs> Lobdale stood trial in Forest City, was cited with the ancient code of Justian, because again, this was a territory, found Lobdale, though not guilty, and declared a woman with the legal right to dress as a man. So that, okay, so the law is you can dress as a man, but we're not going to recognize you as one. How accurate to today is that? (laughs) This was in 1858, remember? 1858. Following that court case, which obviously was groundbreaking, Lobdale returned to New York and married Marie Louise Perry in 1861. But the story does not end there. The couple faced numerous challenges, and they kept getting arrested for vagrancy and had stints in jails and poorhouses because they could not live in their love and their true selves. That is horrible. For a lot of us, I don't think it's really feasible, especially for the younger ones of us, to think about being arrested for vagrancy, being arrested for being who you are and loving who you love. Thankfully, I've grown up in a time where gay marriage has been a thing for the majority of my life. And trans rights have really come into their own. And unfortunately, now we're under attack for that. But I still think that a lot of us would be willing to spend some time in jail to be who we are and to date who we want to date. Yeah. And it's incredible to think that being able to love the person that you love has really only been legal for for (laughs) a couple of decades now. And we're still fighting that battle. Yeah, it's a never ending battle. And I think something that's really important to keep in mind is like LGB with the T. All rights are good rights. And we're going to fight for all those rights. You want to take our next one? I'll take our next one. Yeah. So this one is about Cecilia Reggiana Gonzaga, I think is how I'm going to pronounce that. So Cecilia was an African-American trans woman who lived in St. Paul during the summer of 1885. When officer Jeremiah J. Sullivan arrested her for wearing women's clothing, took her into custody and questioned her at the Ramsey County Courthouse. So a trans woman who was wearing clothing that matched her gender identity was arrested in Ramsey County. And 1885 and an African-American trans woman. So you can imagine the kinds of persecution that she was facing every single day of her life. Let's just recognize that black trans women still face so many institutional barriers today. Yes. And to all of my black trans people out there, thank you so much for being strong and coming out and being being your authentic self in this world that honestly is the worst for you all. It is. Cecilia was released and <laughs> fled to St. Louis, where we are now. No, or, St. Louis or, City. Or St. Louis City, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> St. Louis City, not where we are now. So her story started in Minnesota, but because she was persecuted here, she got the heck out of Dodge so that she could be somewhere else. Sounds like a lot of trans folks these days. Her story was particularly important for Minnesota, as it was covered by both the St. Paul Globe and Minneapolis Tribune with a, and I I apologize for anyone who might get squeamish at this word, for a, quote, hermaphrodite label. But sympathy for her both as a black and gender nonconforming person was there at the time. Which was amazing. This is, these are big news outlets in Minnesota covering this in a very sympathetic way. And that is really important because Minnesota does have a history of being a really welcoming place for everyone, despite 
a rogue police officer arresting this poor woman. The next story is Lynette and Lorraine Lee. They have the distinction of being among the first to take advantage of gender-affirming care in our state. The University of Minnesota emerged in the 1960s as one of the first academic universities to include a center for trans medicine. And today is a world-renowned school researching a trans and and gender-affirming care. Dr. Donald W. Hastings started the Transsexual Research Project, is what they called it, in 1966. And uh, Lynette and Lorraine Lee were among those very first people in the U.S., let alone in Minnesota, to receive gender-affirming care there. That is amazing. Like, we we talk a lot about detransvestitin, which is the first medical paper that was written about trans people. Those Germans were way ahead of their time. Uh, Honestly, if I'm remembering my history, that book came out around 1880, when the U.S. was really starting to come into its own as a country. And so in 1960, 80 years after detransvestitin first came out, the U of M created one of the first world-renowned transgender medicine research programs. It's incredible. The next person we wanted to talk about is Cece McDonald. Cece is an African-American transgender woman and LGBTQ plus rights activist. She gained national attention in the United States for her experiences with the criminal justice system, which highlighted the struggles transgender people, especially transgender women of color, face in society. Now, the most amazing thing, and listen to this, is how recent this was. Yes, it is incredible how recent this was. So, on June 5th, 2011, she was involved in an altercation outside a Minneapolis bar that turned violent. McDonald, along with several friends, were verbally harassed and physically assaulted by a group of people. During the confrontation, she was struck in the face with a glass, resulting in a serious injury. In 2011... In 2011, we're talking a decade ago, this is still happening, and we know it's still happening today. Like, when we talk about black people who are trans, or just BIPOC people who are trans, like the struggles that they experience are real. And and we recognize that. Since her release from prison, Cece has become an outspoken advocate for transgender rights, prison reform, and racial justice. She has shared her story in various forms, including public speeches, interviews, and documentaries, raising awareness about the systemic issues faced by transgender people, particularly those of color. Oh, and maybe that's the part that I forgot to mention when I was writing this. She was the one arrested for being harassed and being hit in the face with a bottle. Yes. She's the one who went to jail. A black trans woman went to jail for being harassed. Isn't that the story of everything in our society? I I can't. But it's because of all the people that have paved the way that now we have folks like Andrea Jenkins. Jenkins is a former Minneapolis City Council policy aide, led the Transgender Oral History Project out of the University of Minnesota. Which can Can I just say about the Transgender Oral History Project that is still going on down in in Minneapolis at the U of M. And it is an incredible program. Yes, they what a have resource. so much history. And if you are all interested in especially indigenous trans stories, please go and check it out. It is absolutely amazing. Now, I think we may know, if you're familiar with politics at all, in 2017, voters elected Andrea Jenkins and Felipe Cunningham to the Minneapolis City Council, and they became the first two black and trans people to hold public office in the United States. Woo! 
Can we just say Minnesota did that? We we elected the first black and trans people to public office in the United States. We talk about all of the injustices and the bad things that happen, but Minnesota really is one of the states that is leading the way for especially BIPOC communities who are trans and the trans community as a whole. And while we're talking about politicians in the state of Minnesota, I want to point out two more. They're wonderful people all across the board, but Lee Finky... USA Today's Women of the Year, obviously first transgender woman to receive that honor, representing the state of Minnesota. Lee is just an amazing human being. And drafted, I think, the trans refuge bill, right? And was the author of the trans refuge bill and really pushed hard. They voted that bill in the House at 5 a.m. because they were being stonewalled by conservatives and they were being harassed by conservatives on the floor of the legislature. And she held true and got that refuge bill done. Can we say... A huge thank you to Lee Finky for that. I think that's worth a round of applause. And then we have a local representative that I want to point out, and is just one of my favorite humans. The two-spirited Alicia Kozlowski is a wonderful representative of us and has been really pushing for your rights at the Capitol. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Alicia. You are an amazing human. And I am so excited to see what you can help our area in advancing trans rights. Anna, it's Trans Visibility Day. What does trans visibility mean? Yeah, so this is something that I wanted to just briefly touch on, being that a lot of people aren't entirely sure what being visible means. If we were to go by the literal definition, it would be being seen or being able to be looked at. But I really wanted to talk about what role do allies play in having trans visibility? And the first thing I wanted to talk about is raising trans voices, especially when it comes to issues such as trans rights. The only people who know about trans rights better than anyone else are trans people. Yeah. It really is true. Trans people live the rights that we have, and we know what needs to change. So So we as allies need to be listening to you so that we can... (laughs) That's the whole premise of this podcast, if you've never listened to us before. Yes, Uh, listen to me specifically. No, (laughs) just kidding. Listen to trans people. Listen to trans people as a whole. If you want to listen to me, I do a podcast. I'm pretty funny, I think. But I also am only one person. Listen to all sorts of different trans voices. I also really wanted to bring up standing up for trans people in your life in any situation. You're at a meeting and a trans person's trying to speak, but they're getting over-talked. Or misgendered. Or misgendered. Speak up for them. Trans people matter. And you as allies can help trans people feel like they matter in those conversations. It could be as simple as you're out to dinner and the waitress keeps misgendering your trans person. Just correct them. If the trans person is open to that, it really will make a difference. The last thing I really wanted to talk about, and Cam, I think this is something that you can maybe speak on a little bit better as the ally, is recognizing your privilege. Oh, yeah. It's something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, especially with intersectionality, but recognizing your privilege and how you communicate are two things that really can raise trans voices and make us feel more visible. Cam, what are some ways that you recognize your privilege when it comes to the trans community? And I think I'm hyper aware of my privilege now. I, I, I carry a certain amount of being a cisgender white guy guilt, which is why I'm trying to put more of my privilege and spotlight on other people who are not cisgender white guys, because I have not experienced systems of oppression in the way that trans folks have and the BIBOC community have and so many others that aren't me have. And I think the biggest thing is 
being able to step aside and provide opportunities for other people to be the ones in service, not just myself in, in that role, and lifting up other people's voices that are not cisgender man voices. Yes, raising up women's voices, raising up BIPOC voices, raising up trans voices. Those are things that we try and do every day, and it's one thing that cis allies can do to support trans people. Now, what, what are some ways that trans people can feel more visible on a, on a day like today? I think we're doing it right now partying, talking with each other, <laughs> celebrating ourselves. Coming out and being trans is a celebration and it needs to be recognized as that. It is one of the hardest things anyone can do. And yet here we are today as people who have come out who are trans and we celebrate ourselves. We want to build everyone up around us and I think we do a fantastic job of that. So thank you to all of the trans people who are here and being their authentic selves. To all of my trans people, queer people, questioning people who maybe haven't come out yet. Thank you for also being here and celebrating yourselves. And thank you to all of the cis allies for being here and supporting trans rights. It is something that is critical especially in today's society. Absolutely. So I have a special uh, situation today when it comes to euphorias. I asked all of the people who we met earlier, Sean, T, Kia, and myself, about what they felt euphoric about when it came to creating this event today. I wanted to celebrate all of them and share what they had to say because I think it's really impactful. And euphorias are a really important part of our podcast. We end every single podcast sharing the highlights, the bright spots of the trans experience. And I'm really excited to hear these euphorias. Yes. So I want to send a big, 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 big thank you to T, Kia, and Sean for sending me these on very short notice. And I, I hope that I can do your words justice. So first we have Kia. Helping put together TDOV for the Northland has been so incredible. There is nothing that fills my heart more than bringing other people joy. These are terrible times for our trans relatives, and I am happy to be part of something that can bring joy, laughter, and connectedness to the trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and gender expansive folks in the community. This is one of the best ways to help recognize folks for the beacons of light and joy that they are. As an ally, I stand with you. I fight for you and I will forever help bring you joy. Thank you, Kia. Thank you so much, Kia. Can we get a big round of applause for Kia? Kia! Kia! Can I read the next one here? Yes, please. We have one from Sean. Sean, who has been such an instrumental part of making systems to support trans people work in our community. And Sean says, I get to experience joy, connection, and gender euphoria throughout the entire planning process for these community events. In these uncertain and downright scary times we are living in as trans and gender expansive people, it's easy to lose hope. I've seen so many community folks and allies stepping forward in big ways to help support this event in our community, and this is how I reconnect with my hope and joy. We are not alone. We are many, and we will continue to be visible together in this caring community we are building. Let's give a round of applause to Sean. Thank you, Sean. Next, I wanted to recognize T for the amazing individual that they are. And I wanted to share their words. To me, 
Gender Euphoria is all about being in spaces with other people where I get to be authentic and have my experiences honored for what they are. I have felt such an abundance of joy in being and planning TDOV events this year with my community. Knowing I am not alone and having others who support me as we work toward this collective creation has been a soul-filling experience. Getting to show up as I am, embraced and held in the in-between and the mess of everything, while equally be getting to express my truest self. Words cannot describe how wonderful it has been. And in these moments, I do not have to be anything other than me. And in all honesty, I believe that the experience is what TDOV is all about. The space to be whole, to be seen, to be valued. Us recognizing and honoring the beauty, creativity, and wonder that we as trans and non-binary people bring to this world. And it's not just this day that we should be celebrating ourselves and these experiences, but every day. In all ways, we should embrace ourselves our truths, and our authenticity. Thank you so much, T. Let's get a big round of applause. Thanks, T. And then you should read this last one because it's you. Because it's me, (laughs) yeah. So I also helped plan all of the events today, and I wanted to write down my euphoria too. I got to experience so much gender euphoria every single time I got a chance to meet with Sean, T, and Kia during the planning process. Not only are they amazing humans, but they are my friends. Never once throughout the planning process did I feel like I wasn't able to be my authentic self around them. They were there through the easy and the hard, and I think we did a pretty dang good job of putting this event together. Thank you to each of you and to every single person who is here and having a good time today. Hey, let's have a round of applause for my beautiful daughter, Anna. Thank you, everyone. So that brings us to the wrap-up. Thank you so much for listening to us talk to you for half an hour here. As we talk about on the show, if you have questions about transitioning or supporting someone who is transitioning and you'd like us to talk about it on the show, please shoot an email to questions at transgenderpod.com, click the chat with us button on our website, or DM us on social media. And if you would like to support the show, you can become a patron on our Patreon. Shout out this week to all of our patrons. Thank you for making live shows like this possible. This would not have been able to happen without every single person who supports us, especially our patrons. Be sure to check out our episode description or our table for links and resources on today's topics. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) I've been been Cam. And this has been The Transgenda. I love you all. Except the bigot. Love you all. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause, you beautiful trans people and allies. You rock. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. 